Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verse 10. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The living God is the God who speaks. The God who knows you, who loves you, the God who knows you by name will speak to you. You can learn to discern the word of the Lord. And this is a wonderful thing because one word from God can change your life. Once upon a time, there was a woman named Hannah. Her husband was Elkanah. They lived in the hill country of Israel. And Hannah was childless. And this was a tremendous source of sorrow for her. At this time, the tabernacle of the Lord was in Shiloh. This is before Jerusalem and all that. This is way back. And once a year... Elkanah and Hannah would go to Shiloh to worship the Lord, to offer sacrifice, to bring their tithes and offerings. The priest at that time was a, an old man named Eli. And so Hannah and Elkanah, they go to Shiloh to pray, to worship, to sacrifice, to offer. And then Hannah just stays there at the tabernacle. And she's pouring out her soul before God. She wants a child so bad. And she's praying out of desperation. She's weeping. And she's trying to speak, but there's no words that are coming to her. She's just praying silently because she's beyond words now. She's beside herself. Well, the priest Eli sees her, and shame on him. All he can figure out is that she's drunk. That's what, she, that's what he thinks. And so he begins to scold her. Hey, 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 don't come in here, you know, drunk like that. Woman, what's wrong with you? And she says, oh, no, 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 no. I have a bitter soul, and I'm pouring out my heart to God. And Eli said, oh, okay, well, that's a different. That's, that's, a, that's a different. Okay, well, um, peace be to you. And I'll tell you what, I'm sure God will hear that kind of prayer. God's going to give you your heart's desire. Guess what? A year later, she has a baby. She calls him Samuel. Samuel, because he's been asked of from the Lord. She gives him the name Samuel. Well, she made a vow, you see. She said, God... 
If you will give me a son, I will dedicate him to you. I'll dedicate him to you. And he'll be a Nazarite. And I'll bring him to Shiloh. And he'll serve at the tabernacle. And so she had the little baby until he was about three or so. And then she made him a little, a little priest outfit. A little liturgical garb, a little vestment, a little linen ephod. And dressed him up like a little priest. You know, three-year-old dressed up like a priest. And she goes and she returns to Shiloh and says, Here, here Eli, got your little helper here. And she gave, she gave her son Samuel to help old man Eli in the tabernacle. Now the Lord gave her five more children, praise the Lord. But she would go and visit once a year, she would go to Shiloh, and every year she would make a new little priest outfit, new little vestments for her. I mean, she, you know, she'd have to guess. I wonder how much he's grown this year. And she'd have to guess and try to get it right. But Samuel lived with Eli at Shiloh and served in the tabernacle. Eli was very old by now, and he... He was almost nearly blind, and so little, little Samuel would lead him around by the hand, help him, bring him his meals, take care of him. One night, they'd gone to bed, and Samuel hears a voice in the darkness. Samuel, Samuel. Little Samuel gets up, and he runs to Eli, and he says, Here I am. You called? Eli said, no, I, I, I didn't call you. Oh, I thought you did. And so he went back, he laid down, and Samuel, Samuel. Samuel jumps up. He runs back to Eli. Here I am. You called? No, son, I didn't call you. Oh, okay. Hmm. He went back and laid down. Samuel, Samuel. Runs in. Here I am. You call me? And now Eli thinks he knows what's going on. He says, no, I didn't call you, but uh, I think somebody is calling you. If you hear the voice again, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So little Samuel went and laid back down. Now the Lord came and stood there. Calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. And this is the beginning of the ministry of Samuel the prophet. This is the last of the judges. And Samuel becomes the prophet who anoints the kings of Israel, the first two kings, both King Saul and King David. And Samuel's ministry began when as a boy he heard the voice of God. Now there are dozens and dozens of similar stories throughout the Bible. And they all make clear that 
that God, the living God, is the God who speaks. Abraham hears the call of God and he leaves Ur of the Chaldees and by faith finds his way to the land of promise. Moses hears the voice of God from the burning bush and he goes back and liberates the Israelites from their slavery. David, he's the one that hears the voice of God and writes psalms and songs about what he hears. The righteous king who wrote psalms beside moonlit streams. Elijah hears the voice of God as the still, small voice in the cave on Mount Horeb. Now, these ones are exceptional in their influence and in their accomplishments and what they were called to do, but they're also witnesses of the universal possibility of hearing the voice of God. The living God is a personal God who knows you and calls you by name. Samuel, Samuel. Moses, Moses. Martha, Martha. Simon, Simon. Saul, Saul. Perry, Perry. Blaine, Blaine. Betty, Betty. BZ, BZ. <laughs> he knows our name. And he calls us by name because he has something to say. The living God is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the person who knows you personally. And Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. I know them and they follow me. It is the experience of hearing Jesus speak personally to you that keeps Christianity from being just a dead religion. Not that's okay. It is the experience of having Jesus speak to you personally that keeps Christianity from just being a dead religion. If Christianity is just reading a book, observing some rituals and trying to keep some rules, well, that's a dead religion. Now, sadly, that's a lot a lot of people, that's the only thing they've ever experienced from Christianity. Read a book, observe some rituals, try to keep some rules. And then we wonder why they walk away. Because they got better things to do on their Sunday morning than that. But to hear in your heart Jesus speaking something personally to you, that's about the most alive and exciting thing you can experience. I mean, the difference between Christianity as a dead religion, reading a book, observing rituals, trying to keep some rules, and a Christianity where Jesus speaks to you personally. There's a great gulf between those two things. To have Jesus speak to you, and you know it's Jesus, and you know it's for you. It's about the most alive and exciting thing you can experience. Last week I told you the story about in the summer of 1995 when I was under such immense pressure trying to get into this building, 
$900,000 short and how one day I just couldn't stand it and I left and went out to Rochester Falls. I had some people tell me, we're going to go out there. He said, well, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there's magic out there. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure that it's the place. But I went out to Rochester Falls and I just cried out. I was like Hannah. I was just crying out to God. And God spoke to me. Isaiah 41, 10, I will help you. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to have Jesus say, I'll help you. It was a big deal for me. When I'm at the end of my rope and I don't know what to do, and Jesus just says, I will help you. It's like, whew, all right then. I guess we're going to be okay. The voice of the Lord has spoken to me throughout my life at important crossroads. The words that I've received from the Lord have healed me, helped me, encouraged me, kept me in my vocation, and led me on to new and better paths. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 17, spoken to me. I mean, it's in the Bible, but it was spoken to me. In June of 1977, when I'd been diagnosed with acute leukemia with six weeks to live, that word literally kept me alive. I believe I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. It's out of Psalm 27. That word, in 1984, kept me in the ministry. When I was ready to quit, not because I didn't love what I was doing, but because I felt like an absolute failure, just a failure. And I just thought out of integrity, I need to quit and go do something I can actually maybe make a living at because we had no money. And I was ready. I was ready to, I was this close. And the word came to me, scripture, but it came to me alive in the moment spoken by the Lord. I mean, I would have despaired. I would have given up unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And God told me, You'll, don't give up, Brian. You'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I stayed in the ministry. Preach faith and your church will grow. April 1st, 1986. I was depressed. I mean, I've struggled with failure a lot in my life. And I'm reading the Bible in the morning like I always do. And I get to Acts 16, 5, and the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. And I said, oh, wouldn't that be nice? And the Lord spoke like thunder in my soul and said, preach faith and your church will grow. I did and it did. Come with me. Come with me. Sitting on my front step, June 2nd, 2000, reading Confessions by Augustine. I had a mystical experience. And I began to say to people, come with me, come with me, come with me, because I knew we were going somewhere new. I didn't know where it was. I began to explore some alternative paths in secret for about four years. Also, that, that, that same summer, I had that mystical experience up in the, up in the Rocky Mountains. At sunset with the seven elk, the bull elk and the sunset. And the Lord saying to me, this is the greatest wonder of all. The word became flesh. That may not seem like a big deal to you. But it was huge. I mean, it, 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 it altered the course of my preaching for a lifetime. Read this book. Read this book. Three words. Read this 
book. That came to me in August of 2004. It was spoken to me by Perry. But how many of you know that God can speak to you through the voice of others? I was frustrated. I said, I feel like I need to, you know, I won't tell the whole story, but, and I just prayed. Perry had no idea what I said, God, show me what to read. I felt like there was a key that I was going to, and Perry walks into the room. Here, I think you should read this book. Ooh, hands me this book that she had never read. And to this day, we don't know how it ended up in our house. She's in the house and she sees this book. She picks it up, looks at it. Huh. Here, Brian, read this book. <laughs> I just prayed. Show me what to read. Read this book. It was the, the Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Changed my life. Cross, mystery, eclectic community, revolution, the five words. I knew we were on a new path. And I just prayed. I said, Lord, what, what am I going to say? I'm going to take the staff away on a retreat. And we're going to talk about a new direction for the church. And I said, Lord, what do I say? And as quickly as I could think them or write them down in my moleskin, cross, mystery, eclectic community, revolution. These aren't things I dreamt up. It was like downloaded. It just changed everything. Pay attention to every crucifix you see and ask this question. What does this mean? 2016, beginning the Camino. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Now, I'm not saying that, I, that this is constant. I've just related eight oracles from the Lord over a period of 40 years. Okay, more than that. So I'm not talking about Jesus constantly whispering in my ear all the day long. Now, I mean, I seek guidance. I pray every day for guidance. I'm going to minister to somebody. I'm, I'm going to preach on something. I'm going to do something. I have to make some decisions. I'm always asking for guidance. But it isn't like I get... But there are those moments when... See, I'm very careful. I'm, I'm, not, the, I'm not the guy that walks around saying all day long, God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me. I'm very careful about that. I don't do that. But there are some moments in my life where if I'm going to have integrity, I have to say, that didn't come from me. The Lord spoke that to me. I'll tell you a remarkable story. Thinking about my friends today, Jared McKenna. I wonder if he's watching. Hello, Jared. I hope you're watching. He watches a lot, so maybe he is. It's like in the evening there, end of the day. You all know my good friend Brad Jerzak. He's been here many times. I love Brad. I love him so much. Um, been on some Zooms with him lately. It's not the same. Last time I saw him was in February, before the world went sideways, in New Zealand. And it was just, we were both, we were both there speaking, but not at the same events. It was just coincidental that we were there. And so we arranged to get together, and we did one little meeting together, and then we hiked to Mount Doom. In, in the land of Mordor. And uh, that was great fun. But Brad and Eden, Jerzak, they're among my dearest, dearest, dearest friends. Love them so much. I'm going to tell you a story that involves their youngest son, Dominique, when he was nine years old. He's like 20-something now. That's, that's Dominique. Kind of looks like Brad. Looks a lot better than Brad. <laughs> I said that, Brad. And you know it's true. And uh, that's their youngest son. He's 20-something now. 
But this, this story occurred when he was nine years old. And uh, I talked with Brad this week because I wanted to get the story just right, so he sent it to me. Uh, this is an absolutely true story. What I'm going to relate, he says this occurred, I'm going to give you the words verbatim. This was not something that was prompted. It did not come up as a result of a conversation. They were just Brad and his youngest nine-year-old son, Dominique, were just together one day. And out of the blue, out of nowhere, Dominique said, Hey, Dad, fallen angels and demons aren't the same thing. Nine-year-old, out of, out of nowhere. Hey, Dad, fallen angels and demons aren't the same thing. Brad, surprised. Who told you that? Jesus. When? Just now. What's the difference? I don't know. Well, ask him. Dominique closes his eyes for about 20 seconds. Brad stresses that this isn't how Dominique would ordinarily talk. Closes his eyes for about 20 seconds, and a nine-year-old child says this. Jesus says, demons are created by people out of the ashes of war, the tears of those who are afraid, and the stuff that people want that doesn't belong to them. Then they take on a life of their own and turn on you. Dang. You understand? Out of nowhere. Demons and angels aren't the same thing. How do you know? Jesus told me. When? Just now. What's the difference? I don't know. Well, ask him. Jesus says demons are created by people out of the ashes of war, the tears of those who are afraid, and the stuff that people want that doesn't belong to them. Then they take on their own and turn on you. Brad says, then what are fallen angels? I don't know. <laughs> well, ask him. <laughs> he closes his eyes for about 20 seconds and says, he says, fallen angels are angels that were in heaven but wanted something that didn't belong to them. So they got darker and darker until they fell out of heaven down into the sky where they fly around. Brad says, uh, so could you ask Jesus how we deal with them? Dominique listens. Nine-year-old. With fallen angels, God uses a spiritual sword to cut off their wings, and they fall, fall, fall to the ground where we can put our feet on their heads. Brad says, but what about demons? Dominique listens, and he says, Jesus says with demons, people just have to deal with their issues, and they dissolve This is what you would put in the... This, this is a true mystical experience. These are not everyday events. You can't like call up Dominique and say, hey, I've got a question for Jesus. It's not on demand. It doesn't work like that. But that really happened. The point is, Jesus does speak to us. Not in the way of religious fanaticism. We're like everything, you know, Jesus is telling you whether to have, you know, cornflakes or Cheerios in the morning. You know, it's not like that. I don't want you to go down that road at all. Uh, again, I, I, I talked about eight oracles that came over 40 years. But this is something we can grow in. 
We can learn to discern the voice of the Lord. Samuel, as a child, was hearing something that he didn't recognize as the Lord. It took the counsel of an older man to say, you know, I think the Lord is in that. I think it's God who's speaking to you. How many of you can look back in retrospect and say, there were some times in my life when God was speaking to me. I was having these thoughts, these feelings, this impression, but I didn't know it was God at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, over time, though, we can learn. Now, uh, I do want to take a moment just so the opposite mistake. I mean, it might be a mistake to, to be picking up something. I'm picking up a message, Lord. I'm closer than I've ever been before. You know, if you... It's, it's, it's like, in one sense, God is always broadcasting from God's isness. I mean, just God is. It's just always emanating constantly. But occasionally, for whatever reason, we tune it in and we pick it up. Now, if, we, if we're not on the frequency, then we miss it, you know. Maybe we don't need to be on the frequency. But the other mistake is even worse. The opposite mistake is that thinking all of your own thoughts are the voice of the Lord. That's, mu- that's religious fanaticism. That's much worse. That will not only get you in trouble, it will make you terribly annoying to everyone. You'll lose all your friends, okay? Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols. The dumb idols. These are the mute idols. The false gods that really have nothing to say. But did you know that in the pagan world, uh, ventriloquism was actually developed. The skill of a ventriloquist was to make it appear as though an idol was speaking. And so someone could, you know, as we say, throw their voice, you know, not move their lips. And and there would be this other voice and they would make it, it would seem like an idol was speaking. It was a way to dupe people. Well, you can do that to yourself. You can tell yourself that every thought that you have is Jesus speaking to you, but you're just being the ventriloquist and cheating yourself. So don't go down, don't go down that road. I just want to stress that. But the question then remains, how do we train our heart to truly hear the Lord? All right, I'm just going to mention four things pretty quick. These are not how-tos, and if you do this, you can have a nice, lovely conversation with Jesus over a cup of coffee every morning. I'm not saying it like that. But I'm saying that Jesus does speak, and you can increase your capacity to hear what the Lord has to say. Number one, form your soul in prayer. Form your soul. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. That's, That's the foundation of prayer school. We're supposed to do a prayer school here in September. We're thinking, ah, that's all sketchy. So we're doing two prayer schools online in October. The third week and the final week of October. Two different times. You can go on the website and find out. And, you know, but that's, that's what prayer school is about. It's about, about learning to pray in a way, according to structure, that forms your soul. And when I say forms your soul, I say part of that is your heart See, a heart can be dull and hard, insensitive. Scripture uses that kind of language. Or your heart can be tender and soft, receptive to what the Lord has to say. And you have something to do with that. I mean, properly forming your soul in prayer is part of keeping a heart that is tender and soft and receptive instead of dull and insensitive. 
Number two, learn the language of Scripture. The best way to learn to recognize the voice of the Lord is just to be thoroughly saturated in the language of Scripture. In fact, um, the way that God has most often spoken to me is to cause a Scripture to leap to life. I mean, when the Lord spoke to me at Rochester Falls and says, Isaiah 41.10, I will help you. I mean, that, that verse had been there since the 6th century B.C. It had been in every Bible I had. But what happened was it came alive in that moment. It popped in that moment. It became, it became the word of the Lord for me in that moment. And I think the, the, the more you have the language of Scripture, just sort of in your own vernacular, in your own vocabulary, uh, it makes it easier, I think, for the Spirit of the Lord then to make one of them come alive. And so, learn the language of Scripture. Uh, number three, practice sitting with Jesus. Again, this is something I teach in prayer school. Sitting with Jesus is my take on contemplative prayer. Uh, sitting with Jesus, though, is not forcing Jesus to talk. You, you, can't make, you can't make Jesus do anything. You can't just sit there, okay, Jesus, I'm going to sit here until you say something. I'm going to sit here. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Because now you're trying to be Lord and tell Jesus what to do, so he's not going to do anything. So either you've got to just sit there and wait it out and then repent, or worse, you can pretend that Jesus said something. No, sitting with Jesus is just sitting with Jesus. You say, well, what, what happens when you sit with Jesus? I sit with Jesus. That's the thing that happens. Well, what are you doing? I said, I'm listening to Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? He's listening to me. So we're just sitting there listening to each other, listening to each other. And you say, well, it sounds like nothing's happening. Well, I'm with Jesus. How could that not be something happening? Occasionally the Lord does say something. The practice of sitting with Jesus is being open. You're giving space. You're giving time. I've never had the Lord speak to me during a football game. Lord, I do pray that football comes back. I do pray that. <laughs> Please, Lord. I mean, I'm going to watch football. I like football. But that isn't when the Lord speaks to me. Sometimes I think we just have to get quiet enough, still enough. We need to have enough stillness in our soul. I mean, if he's speaking in the still, small voice, that's what, how Elijah describes it in the cave at Horeb. Well, if it's a still, small voice, you know, it's easy to drown out with a bunch of other noise. So you have to get quiet sometimes so you can hear this. And number four, submit to the test of time and tradition. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I mean, how do you know? Is it the word of the Lord or is it just a flight of fancy? Well, one of the ways you know is if it's the word of the Lord, it endures, it stands, it remains. If it's something you just cooked up, probably it fades away in a day or two. So if you feel like the Lord has spoken to you, don't just rush out and tell everybody. Just, just sit with it a while. Sit with it a week or so. You know, if it's just, a, a, it may be a fine idea that you have, but it's just your idea. It just sort of fades away. It was just a thought you had. But the word of the Lord just seems to stay, 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 stay. It's, it's enduring. 
It's incorruptible. It doesn't fade away. So apply the, the test of time and submit to the test of tradition. There should be nothing in conflict with the Christian tradition set forth in Scripture, creed, and Christian orthodoxy. Because I don't want you to turn into a heretic over this. Don't do that. Form your soul in prayer. Learn the language of Scripture. Practice sitting with Jesus and submit to the test of time and tradition. The living God is the God who speaks. The God who knows you, loves you, and calls you by name will speak to you. You can learn to discern the voice of God. And this is a wonderful thing. Because one word from God can change your life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as I look back over my life, I know, I know really well that if there weren't some moments when you really spoke to me and I really heard it, I wouldn't be here. I could say Board of Life Church wouldn't be here. It just wouldn't be. And so, Lord, those are, those are really important, and I thank you for them. And, Lord, I'm not claiming any spiritual elitism. I'm just setting forth that which is a possibility for every one of us. And so, Lord, I pray for these people. Lord, they need to be sustained by a word from you. It's hard right now. And sometimes when things are really hard, that's when we really need some word from you. So, Lord, I pray that over the next, I don't know, it's up to you, but over the next few weeks, I pray that you would speak to all that are here who will listen, who will get quiet, who will incline their ear. I pray that you would whether it's like thunder in the soul or whether it's a still small voice, speak a word that will heal them, help them, encourage them, keep them on the right path or put them on the right path. Lord, I ask that you would speak. They're your sheep. You're the shepherd. Oh, good shepherd, speak to us. Help us to hear you and we need to hear you most. In Jesus' name we pray.